0: Welcome to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My guest this week is Kate Hughes, a former barrister and solicitor who, after experiencing severe symptoms of stress, including losing the vision in one eye, left the law world after 20 years to start her own meditation business. She now consults with individuals and corporates and is determined to bring the proven benefits of meditation to the masses. Personally, I know very little about meditation, but I am intrigued which is part of the reason I wanted to talk to Kate and to learn more. However, what's interesting is that it's become increasingly more mainstream over the past decade or so, with several business leaders from Twitter founder Jack Dorsey to the late Steve Jobs being confirmed fans. As you know, one of our core values at Evolve is enhancing your well-being and the more I learn about meditation, the more I can see its amazing potential to reduce stress teach you to live more in the present and even stave off Alzheimer's. As you'll hear from Kate, there are a myriad of benefits from meditation and she goes some way to demystifying it and gives us some great tips for anyone looking to start to get into a practice of meditation. Considering what a challenging year we've all had, I think anything that can cut down on our levels of stress and help us feel more centered can only be a good thing. In today's podcast, Kate warns against waiting until you feel overwhelmed with stress before you start meditating.
1: Some of the best things that happen in our lives are the most stressful, you know, getting married, moving house, new jobs. They're the exciting things, but they can also ramp up the stress levels. So you don't need to be like how I was on my knees, wondering where the finish line was to get the benefits of some of this stuff that I'm teaching.
0: Reveals the fascinating benefits of simply breathing
1: You can get out of that stress state, you can send messages to your body just by changing the way you're breathing. You can send a message to your body that you want to calm down.
0: And talks about why repetition is the key to training your brain.
1: The bodybuilder doesn't go to the gym to do one rep. You don't, you know, you don't, you're not gonna sit there for two minutes and your mind wanders once and you bring it back. You're doing it again and again and again.
0: If you want to learn more about Evolve, then please do go to evolvemembers.com. But for now, Let's get on with the show. Welcome, Kate, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Warren.
0: It's great to have you on the podcast. I'm fascinated by the subject of meditation, Kate. Uh, So really interested to learn more and hear what you have to say.
1: Great. I'm looking forward to it.
0: So I know this seems like a really simple, basic question, but let's start from the real basics. How would you best describe meditation and what is meditation?
1: Okay, so it's possibly easier for me to answer the question, what is mindfulness, first of all, okay, and then explain what meditation is. So mindfulness is essentially paying attention to the present moment on purpose with no judgment.
0: So that's about being present.
1: It's about being present in the moment, but not beating yourself up over the fact that your mind's probably going to wander when you're trying to concentrate on the present moment. Meditation is simply a way for us to do that. And meditation can come in all sorts of shapes and sizes. I teach very mindful meditation. So, the kind of meditation that I teach, you are aware of everything that's going on around you. Your field of awareness doesn't change. All your thoughts and feelings and everything are still going to be there, which can be very frustrating. But the meditation that I teach is simply a way of paying attention to the present moment. And the task for people starting meditation really is to notice when their mind has wandered and just to bring it back to whatever their focal point is. So, for example, we might be um, counting the breath or we might be following a body sensation. There's always a focal point for beginners to give them something to sort of hold on to, because I think exactly as you've sort of asked the question, well, what is meditation? It can all sound a little bit scary and it can be some people think, oh, this is a bit strange. But actually, I think when you break it down and explain what mindfulness is and that meditation is simply a way of being mindful, people are a lot more willing to get involved. I think there are a lot of preconceptions about what meditation is and you have to be sitting in a certain way and chanting. And it's it's really not that, or it doesn't have to be that. It could be, but that's not really what I teach.
0: I suppose that is the old school kind of thing that we get from watching films in the past. Didn't it? But there's this kind of whole 70s, 80s or 60s, I suppose, hippie kind of misconception of what meditation is, which is kind of what you've described there. And then there's this kind of more modern way of thinking about it. And in terms of mindfulness and being president, and that's what you teach, Kate.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you're so right about those films from, you know, the 60s and 70s. And, you know, everyone's sort of in an ashram in India somewhere. But you don't have to believe in anything. Um, you know, you don't have to be spiritual. None of that. What I'm really keen to do is to show people that this is a tool and that you can have a toolkit for 2020 that is accessible to everyone. And you don't have to have a set of beliefs or or anything like that to access these really simple techniques.
0: I think that's a real fundamental wall you probably knocked down from the start there, Kate. Because I think, again, you think about it as having to be very spiritual to meditate, even if you forget the religious connotations. You're describing it nearly as a sense of calmness, as you say, mindfulness,
1: aren't you? And it really is something now that I think... In recent years and maybe in in recent decades, our lifestyles have changed dramatically. We are faced with a constant bombardment, you know, particularly with technology, of demands on our time. And I think it's even more important now that everyone has an understanding of how to cope with that. Because the most resilient person could easily get chipped away at, you know, with the constant email pinging and text messages and being available 24-7 you know, the days of closing your computer down at the office and going home at five o'clock are long gone. So yeah, I really think that this is something that that is essential in our day and age.
0: Brilliant. And we'll come on to the talk about, you know, how people can meditate, some simple exercises. I hope mm. later there's some of the things I want to talk to you about, Kate, but perhaps we could just go back and talk about your own story and how you found yourself doing what you do today (laughs) because you've got a really interesting backstory you qualified as a solicitor you enjoyed a successful career you achieved partnership you cross qualified as a barrister so intellectually I'm I'm, you're way off the scale compared to me (laughs) Um, so you had this kind of exciting career successful career but then started displaying as I understand it some symptoms of stress yeah. And that was impacting on you. So, you know, again, joking aside, do you mind sharing that part of your journey with our listeners and therefore how you found meditation? Yeah, yeah, of
1: course. So, yeah, you're right. I did qualify as a solicitor and then I cross qualified as a barrister. And I won't say anything about intellect because I'll probably upset quite a few solicitors and barristers out there. But um, <laughs> I did have a lengthy career um, doing that. So 20 years, I was really fortunate that I found a firm that I loved Working for. And I was promoted quite quickly up to partner. And soon I was managing quite big teams of people. Um, I wanted to do all my barrister work and my solicitor work. I wanted everything. I wanted it all, as we all do. Don't and, we all? Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I really just thought I worked hard and I thought that was what everyone did. And I worked hard and I play, played hard because, again, that's what everybody else was doing. And I think eventually, really, it just took its toll. And I did start to get unwell and they couldn't really work out why I was feeling unwell. But the thing that happened that really stopped me in my tracks was that I lost the sight in one of my eyes. It didn't go completely, but it was enough to really stop me in my tracks because all of a sudden I couldn't read easily. And obviously for my job, I was reading a lot of documents quickly and who knew? You can't do that with without two eyes. It's very difficult to do that with mm. one eye. And I, I was obviously upset because, you know, eyesight, that is one of the things we absolutely take for granted. And all of a sudden my eyes weren't working. And I think with that came this sort of wave of panic, which probably in itself just made the anxiety so much worse. And you know, then the insomnia starts. Wow! And you know, I'm starting to see specialists, and they're doing lots of brain scans. They're trying to work out what was wrong with me. And essentially, they they couldn't work out why I'd lost that eyesight, but it did come back. And I remember just thanking my lucky stars and thinking, right, get back to it. And I just went back to exactly the same lifestyle that I had before. And funnily enough, I, I then had the exact same repeat problem in my right eye, and that was, you know, kind of extraordinary that I hadn't heeded from the first time around that I really needed to make some lifestyle choices. And the expert said we to me, quite look, quite often, hey,
0: though, don't learn.
1: By, yeah, you know, quite often,
0: though, don't learn by our, our mistakes, do we?
1: No, we're we we're big-headed. big headed. We don't listen to really what's going on. We think we know best and off we go. Exactly right. So I remember feeling just well, feeling pretty rubbish, to be honest. And I guess when you're desperate, you're kind of looking for something and you actually don't care what it is. I was searching for something. I know, I know, I you know, looking back, I can see that I was searching for something to help me. And, you know, I found myself sitting in old churches. I found myself doing all sorts of things. But I found a mindfulness drop in centre and it was just a sort of once a month thing. And I went to one session and um, it was kind of in an old village hall. And I did the hour session and I came out and I thought, well, that's a load of you-know-what. I won't be going back there again in a hurry. And, you know, I just, I completely judged it. I thought, this isn't for me. These aren't my kind of people, you know, tick that off onto the next thing. But the lady who'd run that session, I had left my email details with her and she emailed me. It was a few months after that first session and she said, look, Kate, I'm running an eight-week course. You might benefit from that. And I thought, you know what? I had a conversation with her. I listened to what she said, and I thought, why not? Why the hell not? Nothing else that I've tried is working here. Happily, I was, um, my eyesight returned for the second time, but I really decided I needed to make some lifestyle changes by that point. So I did embark on this eight-week mindfulness course, and I can honestly say something clicked, and that was a pivotal moment for me, realising that my life didn't need to be <laughs> what I'd been living. And I remember taking some time out. I had a significant birthday and I took a month off work. I used to have these tremendous holidays from work to cope with my stress, which wasn't coping with my stress at all. But I decided I was going to go away and I was going to decide what I was going to do about my career. And I went away and I decided I wasn't going to do anything about my career. I was actually going to start another little side business as a diversion tactic from my main career. I mean, it, even now it just sounds bonkers, but I, um, I did do that and I could tell that really nothing was changing in my life. I was just getting busier and busier and busier again. And eventually I decided that I was going to have a complete sea change. And that's when I actually saw a career coach. And because I thought, right, I'm going to have to sit down and decide what the hell I'm going to do. You know, when you're when you're little at school and they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? And people say an airline pilot and, you know, all this sort of stuff. I'm thinking, right, what am I going to do? But actually, this career coach that I saw said, well, look, what do you love doing? What's important to you? And how can you make that into something that pays the bills? And from chatting to her over a few months, it became obvious to me that what I was really passionate about was this mindfulness and about teaching the people who were in similar situations to me some of the tools that I wished I'd had back when I was really, really unwell. So I decided to leave the partnership. I decided to set up my own business, Kate Hughes Meditation. And that was at the beginning of 2019. So my business isn't very old. And Warren, I didn't really have a clue about how to start a business. Do you know what I mean? I had, I'd had some, some small pointers from the little enterprise that I've gone off and run uh, when I came back from my big holiday, but I didn't really know what I was doing. But people were very keen to help. People were interested in what I was doing. I started a sort of local dropping class where I live. People were coming and people loved it. And I could see, hang on a minute, there's, this is getting some traction. And it was all, you know, it was ticking along nicely. And then, of course, um, COVID hit. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's just been testing times for all of us. And I guess if you've got the real desire to make something work, then you find ways to make it work, international pandemic or not.
0: <laughs> yeah ab- absolutely don't you if you've got focus and you've got passion and you've got belief in what you're going to do and what you set out to then you definitely do and that's an remarkable story okay because I think there's so many you know parts of that story that I mean I resonate with but I'm sure the listeners will resonate with is that we push ourselves time and time and time again don't we and yeah. sometimes we put these false rewards up like yours was these great big glorifying holidays and they were the reward for the pain, kind of thing. And yeah, that's... absolutely.
1: But it was, I was on a complete hamster wheel and I couldn't really see a way out of that. And as you say, I thought the holidays were a, a bit of respite for me. And I'd go on amazing holidays, Warren. I, I, I'm single, no kids, my money was my own. Um, I'd book these fantastic holidays. But all that would happen was in the weeks leading up to the holiday, the stress went through the roof trying to get everything ready for when I went away the holidays got longer and longer because for the first week or so, I was just still really, you know, quite stressed out. And then I'd get back and everything would be exactly as it was when I left. The only rule I had about holidaying was by the time I was getting on my flight home, I had to have the next one booked. And I spent my whole life looking forward to the next thing, to the next thing, not living in the present moment at all, but looking forward all the time and, you know, ticking the days off to get to the next holiday. And I spent best part of 20 years doing that and it makes me cringe you can probably hear in my voice I'm cringing that that's the way that I lived and <laughs> yeah. we we don't need to be like that we really don't need to be like
0: that no, we don't need to be it's easier said than done well you've I mean you've done Kate that 180 degree turn though haven't you and you've you've changed your life but so many you know we all live on a hamster wheel from time to time don't we and um
1: yeah yeah And I think it's important to remember that, you know, we do have stress for a reason. Some stress can be good stress. Some of the Mm. best things that happen in our lives are the most stressful, you know, getting married, moving house, new jobs. They're the exciting things, but they can also ramp up the stress levels. So you don't need to be like how I was on my knees, wondering where the finish line was um, to get the benefits of some of this stuff that I'm teaching.
0: And then that's an interesting point in itself, isn't there? There's a big difference between pressure and stress, isn't there?
1: Mm,
0: mm. you know pressure and, can be good yeah that exactly makes us do things yeah
1: yeah yeah and i think what we need to just bear in mind is that you know we often live in a sort of low level stress and that's not actually that healthy for us so it's about having a balance um it's about understanding that your body is going to go into the stress reaction every now and then but it's also about remembering that you need to bring it down and I think that's, that's mm. one thing that I've certainly learned. Um, it's about having a balance. But having said that, one of the great side effects of this sort of meditation practice is that the highs and lows aren't how they were for me before. So I would be, you know, absolutely buzzing and then absolutely on the floor, whereas now my life's much more of a constant. And I know that's one of the benefits of meditation. That, that's one of the things for me that's, that's worked out quite well.
0: Brilliant. Fantastic. You said something interesting there that I'd I'd like to explore further, which is a lot of us live in these low levels of stress, which are quite dangerous. What do you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, I think that I mentioned earlier that our lifestyles have changed. And, you know, we have these sort of little doses of stress every day that that you wouldn't think were stress, even just the alarm going off. It's something that happens. You deal with it. You, You turn the alarm off. You might put it on snooze a few times. Um, And you get out of bed and you might, you know, if you've got kids, you might be treading on the the Lego or whatever, you know, and then then you burn your toast or you drop your toothbrush with your toothpaste on it. And all these little events happen. And they're just events that, you know, they're not big, stressful things, but they add up. And of course, you add technology on top of that. And you've got your work email coming in at half past seven in the morning. You've got the school run, something happened with that, you know, all these little things. And, we can cope with those micro-doses uh, micro of stress, but they add up and everyone has their tipping points. And we all have a level where actually we can't cope with that amount of stress anymore. And our bodies are great because our bodies manage to keep going for us, I think sometimes against all the odds. But our bodies can often be in this stress state. So one of the ways that you can sometimes tell if you're in a stress state is that your breathing will be quite shallow. You'll just be breathing from the top part of your chest. And that is the body's natural response to stress. You're not using your your diaphragm and your belly to breathe. And that in itself has its own health implications. But when we're in this stress state, you know, fight or flight, everyone's heard of that. You know, your digestion system isn't really working properly. Lots of things won't be working properly. And I'd obviously heard of fight or flight, but I'd never even heard of rest and digest which is the flip side of the fight or flight yeah. so we, we live in this sort of stress state and we and our bodies can adapt to that you, you know people people often have low level health concerns that are actually just a culmination of, of this this constant stress so yeah allowing your body time to come out of that stress state is really really important and it's easy to do. You, you can get out of that stress state. you can send messages to your body just by changing the way you're breathing. You can send a message to your body that you want to calm down. And you can trigger that parasympathetic nervous system that is the, the opposite to the to the sympathetic nervous system which which runs your stress responses. Your parasympathetic nervous system is the rest and digest, the thrive mode, the "I want to recover mode. And that's you know I meet a lot of people that exactly how I was, they would never get into that mode. You know, I certainly thought relaxing was having a glass of wine watching TV. It was just a distraction. I wasn't really Mm. relaxing. And I think we've, in some ways, lost the the art of relaxation. I think we're great at distraction, but I don't think we're great at actually looking after ourselves and actually taking time out to relax and allow our bodies to recover.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I find myself sometimes... And I know when I'm doing it, and I, I try and breathe through it when I do, because I nearly hold my breath, you know, and I feel myself catching myself, not breathing, yeah. as you say, either breathing really shallowly or when I'm in a, I don't know, I call it manic Munson mode. <laughs> but, you know, when I feel I'm in that kind of manic mode, I feel myself just doing simple things but nearly holding my breath. And because I've spoken to people and I understand that I've got to try and change that state to be more, constant and be more present in the moment I feel myself trying to breathe properly through it so mm. you would say breathing and breathing exercises are a form of meditation I assume
1: yeah I mean that it's a great way I start all my practices whenever I see a new client or I start a group whenever I start any meditation I always start with the breath because you can do this anywhere And one of the really important breathing exercises that I try and teach everyone, I call it my martini breathing, because you can do it anytime, anyplace, anywhere. And the younger listeners won't remember that ad. And that's showing my age. (laughs) I'm sure you're not allowed to advertise alcohol like that anymore. But you can literally do this breath on the go. So when you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed, maybe you're feeling a bit frustrated in the supermarket queue. Um, Maybe you're feeling frustrated because you're standing outside the supermarket in the rain, waiting to get in, wearing a face mask. Literally changing the way you breathe can change your physiology. And this martini breath is very, very easy. All you do is you increase the length of your inhale by a little bit, breathing in through your nose if you can, your mouth only if you need to, and then breathing out through your nose and making your exhale longer than your inhale. And that's the key. And when you do, even with three breaths, your body will pick up this message that you want to calm down just three breaths no,
0: just i like just to practice it, that, that, yeah. that
1: breathing for, for a couple of minutes before starting any meditation but literally if you can do nothing else take three breaths with your exhale longer than your inhale
0: there we are listeners our first tip the martini <laughs> breath exercise I like that anytime any place anywhere right i've got that one so that yeah <laughs> I, I can see how that works and as i say you know it's it's yeah Breath and breathing is definitely something that, you know, I can see how that does change your state. Yeah. But what other types of meditation are there? And are there different types of meditation that suit different people, Kate?
1: Well, yeah, for sure. I've found on my journey that I have a preference for different kinds of things. But essentially, I mean, broadly speaking, there are two types of meditation. So one kind of meditation is the kind that I teach that I mentioned earlier, where you're aware of everything that's going on around you. You know, you can feel your sitting bones on the chair or or wherever you're sitting. You know, you're aware of the air on your skin or any niggles or discomfort. Your body is there the whole time. Everything that's going on around you is there the whole time. All the sounds um, that might be in the background, all the thoughts that keep coming crashing in. You're aware of them the whole time and you're just for the period of meditation, you're not paying attention to them. So, you have a focal point that I mentioned earlier. The other kind of meditation is basically you're checking out. You are trying to put a roadblock on everything, the thoughts, the feelings, the body sensations, everything. And that does work really well for some people. But what some people find with that is that they go somewhere lovely for 20 minutes. When they get back, it's a bit like the holidays I used to go on. When I get back, everything is just as it was. So you're not really changing your trait. You're changing your state temporarily, but you're not changing fundamentally some of the things about yourself that can help you to live a calmer and, and happier life. So within that spectrum of, of this sort of what I call mindful meditation, there are lots of different practices. They're all incredibly simple. And some days I'll sit down to do my meditation. I think, oh, do you know what? I'm going to do this type, or I'm going to do a, a different kind, perhaps depending on how busy my mind is but there's something to suit everyone. And as I say, none of this is rocket science. This is really simple and it's tried and tested over thousands of years. You know, this is coming back what, two and a half thousand years of, of tradition. And of course we throw science into the mix now and we can literally see how our brains and our bodies behave when, when we practice in this way. Um, which I think is great because some of the skeptics might think, oh, well, you know, how can meditation lower my blood pressure and I say well just read this research look at you know look at these studies that have been done but there's there's definitely something for everyone and even people who think do you know what I, I, I don't want to do this kind of meditation they can work on the breath they can work with their mindfulness with their body they don't have to do a sitting down formal meditation every day I encourage that because I, it's great to get into a routine and it's great to have a daily practice because that's when you see the long-term benefits of meditation.
0: Well, that's one of the questions I had was, you know, how often and for how long does somebody need to meditate to start to experience the benefits? And I think you've alluded to the fact, you know, just the, the martini breath exercise in itself can help mm. change your state and your state of mind. But to get some of the longer-term benefits, how long does somebody have to... Practice meditation for how often and all of those kind of things. Yeah, Kate.
1: well, look, I think there's no have to. There's no right or wrong. And um, people often ask me what's the ta- best time of day to meditate. The best time of day is when you can fit it into your schedule. I might get up early to do my meditation. That might not be your bag. You might like to do it in the car at lunchtime. <laughs> you know, it's it, there's no right or wrong. There's no I have to do it this way. <laughs> um, as I said earlier, you don't need to be sitting cross-legged chanting something. It's about finding a way to fit this into your lifestyle. But I would say that if someone really wants to embark on this kind of meditation journey and mindfulness journey, having something they do every day is really important. And having that time to actually be on your own and just do what I would call in inverted commas a formal practice. So you're on your own, you're, you're in your quiet corner, even if it's 10 minutes a day, fantastic. And I think, you know, I say to people who, who are brand new, Start with your timer at two minutes okay, and work up. Ten minutes isn't a golden number. Start with two minutes and you might find very quickly you're getting on to five minutes and you're getting on to 10 minutes. You don't need to do hours a day. Typically for me, I, I like to do sort of half an hour in the morning and then I'll do a shorter session in the evening. But sometimes I might want to do an hour in the morning and no session in the evening. So, it's all about what works best for you and not putting loads of pressure on yourself, you know, Oh, I haven't done it. Oh, you know, all this judging that we do constantly. It's, it's not about that, but to really, to really get the benefit, you want to really be doing something every day and something like accounting the breath meditation, starting with two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes, really, really simple. So you find a, a corner, you put your phone on silent, you know, you tell the dogs and the kids and the, and the wife and whoever else that you're just having 10 minutes and you find your place and you don't need a special room. You don't need anything special, just a place on your own. I used to do a lot of this sitting in the car before I left work <laughs> and literally understand that you're not trying to stop your thoughts from coming. Because another question that I get is, well, how do I stop my thoughts from coming? I can't do this. My mind's so busy. You're not trying to th- stop your thoughts from coming. You're just going to sit and you're going to recognize that you can feel your body. You might recognize that little tension, headache you've got going on, or maybe you've got a bit of heartburn or whatever is happening that day. That's fine. It's there. It's part of the present moment. You're aware of your thoughts. They're coming. They're there. You know, that monkey mind might be screaming at you. That's fine. But just for this two minutes, five minutes, whatever you've chosen, you're going to count your breath. And you're going to have your natural relaxed breath in place. You're not trying to change your breath. You're not doing a martini breath or any other breathing techniques. Just your natural breath that your body does automatically for you. You start to count the breath. So counting in breath one, out breath two. In breath three, out breath four. All the way up to ten. And then you just start again at one. And literally the the instructions are very simple what eludes us is is you know we we sit down to do this we think we're going great guns and we get to six and we're really pleased with ourselves and actually notice that the thoughts are coming in
0: yeah and I've experienced that Kate so when yeah. I've, I've you know when people said look you know I meditate it's great for me it gets me into m- mindfulness it changes my state it makes me calmer I make more rational decisions give it a go and I've had exactly that experience i sat down <laughs> I've done that kind of exercise or you know <laughs> yeah. And yeah, then the thoughts keep coming, I'm going, and then I don't know. I, I switch off to it, or engage in something else, clearly not very mindful in that moment, but <laughs> so, what's the advice then?
1: The trick is, well, remember about what we said about what mindfulness is: paying attention to the present moment on purpose with no judgment, so you have to put your judge's hat away. Your job during that two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, whatever it is is to notice. So when you notice whatever your thought is, oh, I forgot to fill up the petrol, notice that you've had that thought and come back to one. And doing that repeatedly is training your brain to behave in a certain way. And one of the things that I found when I started doing this, you know, I would have, I don't know how many thoughts, before I'd even got to one, there'd be like five thoughts. <laughs> so it really crowding in, really crowding in. And so I'd get very, very frustrated You know, I'd be hopping around with frustration. Noticing the frustration was a really big thing for me. Noticing that it didn't, my frustration didn't get me anywhere except agitated. So noticing that you've had the thought, then noticing that you've had the feeling and and the emotion that was associated with it. And coming back to one and giving yourself a break every time you do. Our minds are designed to wander. Our minds aren't designed to be focused on one thing. They can do that, but that's not their natural state to do that. So noticing when your mind has has gone somewhere else and coming back. And the repetition in itself is, is great. And, you know, I love the fact that the worse you think you are at this, actually, the better you are and the more benefit you're getting. You're trying to change your neural pathways. And, you know, the bodybuilder doesn't go to the gym to do one rep. You don't, you know, you don't, you're not going to sit there for two minutes and your mind wanders once and you bring it back. You're doing it again and again and again. And the more you do that and the more you train your brain to behave in that way, the easier you will find when you're having a moment of stress and anxiety to be able to gather yourself, bring yourself back to the present moment and to have time and space to make measured, logical decisions and to be able to respond to something in a logical way rather than just automatically reacting to whatever is in front of you. And that is one of the beautiful things about this practice, that it gives you this time and space. But it is hard work. You do have to put in the, the time for this, for this brain training and your mind will wander dozens, hundreds, thousands and thousands of times. And it's about bringing it back again and again and again so that you can create this easy path. I sometimes equate this to thinking of about um, standing in front of a a field of long grass. And the first time you walk through that field of long grass, it's quite difficult. You're trying to make your way through. You can't see where you're going. You can't see your feet. You're trying to navigate your way through this field. The second time you go, you can sort of see where you're going because the grass was a bit trodden down from the first trip. By the time you're on trip 10, 12, 20, 40, whatever, you can actually see a path. And when you've trodden that path many times, you can see, you know, the the grass isn't even growing there anymore. You don't need to look at your feet anymore. You can look around at the scenery because that is a smooth path. And that's kind of what you're doing with your neural pathways. You're training them, you're you're building those pathways so that when you need to come back to the present moment, because your mind's gone off into orbit, one of the things I find with stress and anxiety is people describe spiraling thoughts. You can notice that you've had that spiraling thought and you can bring it, bring your mind back to the present moment where, you know, you're not having this, these, these, you know, I think you called yours your manic mountain moments, but. You know, we, we, we have these spiraling thoughts and before you know it, you're dead in an alleyway being eaten by Alsatians. You know, our minds play these ridiculous tricks on us. Hmm. If we can live in the present moment, we can live with much more ease.
0: Yeah. Great advice, Kate. And and I love that idea of just and I'm gonna try this. I will give this a go. But it's just going back to one and then starting one, yeah, two, three. And then if you need to go back to one again. I like the yeah. I can yeah. see the simplicity in it, Kate. I absolutely, it's
1: can. it's really simple. It can throw up an awful lot of things for people, and and so you know, which is so interesting. It can be the simplest thing, and it can be the most complex thing. But the more you practice, the more you'll find that the gaps become longer between thoughts coming, or maybe they don't. But it's easier to come back to one.
0: Okay, I like that.
1: And the point is, when you come back to one, it takes no effort to come back to one. It's really easy to come back to one. You're not having this battle with yourself. You're just, you're just letting it go. I had a thought, my mind went off, I'm coming back to one. I'm kind of going with that flow rather than the angst that surrounds. That's probably why I disliked the um, mindfulness drop-in session that I went to. I was battling with myself. It didn't help that it was in a bit of a dusty church hall. But, um, you know, it was an internal battle um, that, you know, I probably didn't like. I probably, you know, probably wasn't interested in having any more of that, I had enough of that on my own. Thanks very much.
0: Already through this podcast, Kate, I'm learning and I'm sure our listeners are. It's about, you know, I suppose finding some of your own triggers. It's about finding the space that's safe for you. It's about finding the methodology that works for you. Mm. And, you know, and being patient. And I, as you say, getting into the routine of it rather than trying it once, it not working or feeling difficult. I can see how you, you know, you tune it to it's going to the gym isn't it it's going to the gym for your mind
1: yeah and when i'm trying to encourage people to start new routines there's sort of a couple of things that i say to them there's lots of research on how you build a habit and there's lots of different opinion on how long it takes to form a habit one of the popular um, researchers she reckons sort of 56 to 100 days to form a new habit but other researchers say look you can form a new habit in 21 days but whatever it is it's it's not it's not overnight. You're not mm-hmm. going to be able to suddenly get anything. It's, you know, Our minds aren't Amazon Prime. It ain't turning up in the morning because you ordered it. You have to work at it. So this idea that something's going to happen instantly is is a myth. You've got to know that it's going to take some time. So bearing that in mind, but also bearing in mind that in order to form a new habit, it's easier if you tack it onto the back of something else. So I was chatting to a chap this morning. He'd never done any meditation, any mindfulness. We had our session. And he asked me this question, how am I going to do this every day? And I asked him about what his day looked like. He said, well, every morning I have the same routine. I get up, I go for my run. I said, brilliant. You go for your run, you get home, you do your 10 minutes. You're tacking it on something that you already do. So for me, I started, my routine would be get up in the morning, brush my teeth, splash my face with water, do my meditation. Because it was the only way that I, A, remembered to do it and B, could fit it in. And i I mean, as I said, I'm a bit more of a morning person. I I never thought I'd say that, but I would get up earlier to do my meditation. I think my body clock's changed a bit now because because I've got into that habit. But also forming a habit and doing this work, it does require discipline. And discipline, even the word doesn't sound good, does it? Discipline is not not the thing that you want to jump to, (laughs) you know, wake up bed, oh, I'm going to do whatever. And actually... None of this is particularly sexy or exciting. This is the hard work. And discipline, I say to people, discipline isn't about choosing what you want for yourself now. It's about choosing what you want for yourself for the future. Quite a lot of the time, given the choice, I would rather have my cup of tea and, you know, eat my breakfast than get on my meditation cushion. But I know that I get on my meditation cushion and I am going to get the benefits next week, next month, next year. And so I think it's bearing that in mind. And again, having this idea that that, that something isn't going to arrive overnight. This is a bit of a long term project if you really want to get the benefits. People do dip in and out and that's fine. You know, I'm all for anything that helps anybody. But it's about these long term benefits and getting into a routine and doing it every day and, and remembering that you're making a choice for yourself for the future. So that when you need to dig deep and you need that resilience to be there for you. It's going to be there for you. You're weaving your parachute in the good times because the bad times are going to come.
0: Is that what you see? Is that long-term benefits? I mean, what other long-term benefits are there? You talk about resilience, and you know, you're building the parachute for the longer term. Yeah. What are the other longer-term benefits that you've seen?
1: Well, I think one of the most powerful things for me has been this idea of being able to respond to things in a measured way. I think you called yourself. You know, you're having your manic Munson moment. Was it manic Munson? I think it was.
0: It was. It was indeed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my boss used to call me a whirling dervish, so I have my whirling dervish moments. For me, one of the great benefits is about noticing that it's happening, stepping away from it, and having this time and space to not be a whirling dervish, to be able to think about my answer, think about my response, and act in a logical way. I previously would be reacting to everything automatically all the time I'm not even sure how much decision making was actually involved in a lot of what I did I was just on this sort of autopilot so that for me has been great but there are loads of benefits Warren honestly um, increased confidence was a big one for me I never would have thought I would have handed my notice in and okay I had a career coach to help me but I needed the confidence to come from inside me and I, and that is practice is something that that it really gave me confidence to do that there are loads of health benefits, physical health benefits, like lower blood pressure, um, which is really interesting. Um, cardiovascular issues, you can, you know, you can be healthier in that way. Immunity is a, is boosted by a long-term practice. Sleep is improved. It, the list is endless. There are so many benefits to this practice. And it's little wonder, I, I we're hearing more about the government sort of giving this message about look after your mental health. But I think they're not doing enough i think if, if people realized this raft of benefits that was available to them there would be more of a message about looking after yourself and i think it's interesting because you know we've had this pandemic we're going through it now the message really that i heard and i'm a good one for not listening to the news so you'll have to correct me was you can go outside to do your physical exercise do, make sure you move every day there wasn't a message look after your mental health And I prefer the term emotional health. Mm. What are you doing to look after your emotional health today? And I would love it if, uh, you know, some stage or another, the message that was given to us wasn't you need to do your physical exercise three times, five times a week. It's you need to do your physical and your emotional exercises three to five times a week to direct people's minds. And, uh, you know, we have most of the illnesses we have are stress related. So it seems a bit mad that we don't. Particularly, get this message. I don't know, Warren. What do you think? Do you think that we're we're given a message to look after our emotional health, or do you think it's mainly based on look after your physical health and everything else will be okay?
0: Yeah. Well, I think I've learned over the years actually that I've had to look after myself from a more a well-being perspective and mindfulness perspective. It's you know when things are going well, I'm one of those probably that dip in and dip out. Okay, but I know that when things are going well for me both personally and in business you know I'm in a good sort of emotional state so I love that terminology emotional health because I think you know it's becoming a bit of a buzzword isn't it you know go beat the drum Kate is what I say (laughs) (laughs) go beat the drum uh... let's talk about emotional health
1: (laughs) yeah and I kind of feel like you know I'm I I bang on about this a bit but I'm I'm not going to stop banging on about it I think it's really, really important for people to look after themselves and realise that it's it's free and it's simple. And in an ideal world, my job wouldn't exist because everyone would have these techniques and they'd be going off and doing it on their own. And maybe that's what I should be aiming for, Warren, But actually I don't have a job in X number of years because everyone's doing it for themselves.
0: <laughs> well, that would be a big, hairy, audacious goal to aim for, wouldn't it, Kate? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, I think it's interesting because... Part of the reason why I set up my company was because I think it's tricky to get going. But also, I think you need some help along the way as well. I never really got on that well with apps. I'd be very good at the shopping part. I'd buy an app or I'd download an app, but I wouldn't necessarily do it. I think people like to have the contact with someone, whether it's one-to-one or in a group or whatever, to actually understand why they're doing this. And to give it the personal touch. Mm-hmm. But also I think when you have established your routine, it's really lovely to be able to be part of a community. And I'm really keen to to help people to be part of a community. You know, I was just getting to the point where I was organising, you know, like-minded lunches and things like that, day retreats for people to come to, to to have time out, but also to feel part of something. I think loneliness is a really big thing that affects a lot of people. And I like the idea of creating community and creating events that people can come to. I mean, they're online at the moment, but to enhance their practice. So it's great to have your 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 daily thing and your daily routines and your things that you do. But actually, it's really nice sometimes to reward yourself and have a retreat where you do some different kind of meditations, or we create a nice atmosphere where it feels like real me, me time. It's not the hard work getting on that getting getting on that chair or that cushion because I've got to do it. It's the you know it's the the treat for for having that practice and having that interest in your emotional health.
0: Brilliant. I, and I love all, you know, I completely agree clearly with the thing about community and, and and I, you know, saying in an adage that I'm sure the listeners are fed up with me saying now, but if, you know, you put great people or like-minded people together in a room, great things happen, you know, mm. and actually I completely agree, you know, the sense and feeling of community and, and getting away from a sense of, loneliness and having a sense maybe of accountability within there as well within the framework yeah and enables people to believe that they're not alone and actually gives them commitment to continue with the good practices that they have and I'm sure that's what you know people are seeing when they're engaging with you and and and, and as part of your groups Kate if people want to learn more about you know some simple resources where can they go where can they find out more about Kate and what you're up to
1: (laughs) They can find out more about me um, on my website, which is katehughesmeditation.co.uk. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Kate. I really enjoyed that conversation. I've learned a lot myself. I'm going to commit to something, I'm sure. Well, no, i start again. I will commit to giving mindfulness (laughs) a more present kind of state in my own exercise program. And I'm with you on that campaign. So let's get out there and talk about emotional health.
1: Brilliant. Thanks so much, Warren. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you. What a fascinating conversation. I have to reiterate how much I love Kate's use of that term emotional health. I think it really starts to change certain perceptions and misnomers around that term mental well-being. A lot of us look after our physical health by exercising and eating well, but we often neglect our emotional health. Or we don't even consider that it needs to be looked after with the same care and commitment as you would an exercise regime. I also thought Kate made a really strong case for meditation. And considering those simple tips she gave, particularly around counting your breath and breathing exercises, and the fact that you can start with just a few minutes a day, I feel there's really no excuse, even for me, not to at least give meditation a try. I'll let you know how it goes. If you do want insightful content, details about our events, webinars and inspiration, then please do go to evolvemembers.com and register to be a supporter for free so you get a copy of our weekly newsletter and details of offers and our other services like our peer groups and coaching services. Again, details of which are on our website at evolvemembers.com. If you live and work in Paul and Bournemouth, then you can find details on the website about our lovely new co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul. I really hope you've enjoyed this episode. And if so, please do rate, review and subscribe to future episodes. It will really help us. And I look forward to you joining me again next week. Thank you.